0: An Irish musical genius, the inventor of the musical glasses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Irish musical genius, the inventor of the musical glasses, by D. J. O'Donohue readers of goldsmith will remember the passage in the ninth chapter of the vicar of wakefield where the ladies from london with all their accomplishments threw the country bred ladies entirely into the shade they would talk says goldsmith of nothing but high life and high lived company with other fashionable topics such as pictures taste shakespeare and the musical glasses In this last phrase, which is antithetical or nothing, Goldsmith expressed some contempt for an invention which, for several years previously, had excited much comment and a good deal of amusement among the higher classes of English and Irish society. The Vicar of Wakefield was written in 1761, when Richard Pockridge, the inventor of the instrument referred to, had been dead two years, Goldsmith had certainly heard a good deal of this remarkable man, a countryman of his own, and had not improbably listened to his performances upon the glasses. That he expressed at least a shade of contempt for this invention in his now proverbial phrase is clear. He had not an excessive admiration of Shakespeare, as we know, but he delicately suggests the immense distance which separates the mind of the author of Hamlet and that to which we owe the musical glasses, that, in short, this last was one of the lowest conceivable examples of the exercise of ingenuity. But we may employ in Pockridge's defence the words, or their sense, which John O'Keefe, the admirable dramatist, is said to have used them when he heard that Scott, in St. Ronan's Well, had put into the mouth of one of his characters what he considered the contemptuous phrase from shakespeare to o'keefe from the top to the bottom of the ladder remarked o'keefe well he might have placed me a few rungs up pockridge was by no means a contemptible person he was one of the many notable irishmen of his day his ingenuity was amazing and was employed in a hundred different schemes and inventions, some of which, though scouted as chimerical by his rather unprogressive age, were eminently worthy of consideration, and were well within the region of the practical. The invention of the musical glasses has proved to be his most famous idea. It is the only one of his many suggestions which his contemporaries did not laugh out of court." But it is not by any means his highest claim to remembrance. The writers of his day recognized and appreciated the concourse of sweet sounds produced by Pockridge from ordinary drinking glasses, and lest modern readers should feel inclined to smile at the praise bestowed upon this ingenious contrivance, it need only be mentioned that some of the greatest minds of the time were enraptured with what might now be regarded as a mere toy there are various contemporary references to the musical glasses which have more than common interest. The letters, especially, of the notabilities of the period, often allude to them. In one of his letters to Mason, Gray the poet says, under date December 8, 1761, Here is Mr. de Laval and a charming set of glasses that sing like nightingales, and we have concerts every other night. End quote. Horace Walpole, in one of his letters, also mentions them. Quote, the operas flourish more than in any latter years. The composer is Gluck, a German. he is to have a benefit at which he is to play a set of drinking-glasses which he modulates with water. I think I have heard you speak of having seen some such thing. End quote. And finally, in an advertisement in the St. James's Chronicle of December third, seventeen sixty one, there is the following paragraph quote, At Mr. Sheridan's lecture on elocution, Miss Lloyd succeeds Miss Ford in performing on the musical glasses for the amusement of genteel company. End quote. Benjamin Franklin made a small improvement upon Pockridge's invention and called it by the italian name of armonica which has been englished by the addition of the letter h this is not of course the small toy generally known by that name Brockhill hill newburgh another contemporary refers to it as the instrument quote, with which the celebrated miss davies not long since so agreeably entertained the town quote, and adds quote, it is no more than an improvement upon Mr. Pockridge's glasses, and it is to this gentleman's original invention we are indebted for one of the most pleasing instruments within the compass of sound. Quote. Gluck, the eminent composer, gave public performances in England and abroad upon Pockridge's glasses, and Beethoven, Mozart, and other great musicians wrote music for the improved form devised by Franklin the latter in a letter to beccaria in seventeen sixty two refers to pockrich thus you have doubtless heard the sweet tone that is drawn from a drinking glass by passing a wet finger round its brim one mr puckeridge a gentleman from ireland was the first who thought of playing tunes formed of such tones he collected a number of glasses of different sizes fixed them near each other on a table and tuned them by putting into them water more or less as each note required the tones were brought out by passing his fingers round the brim franklin goes on to inform beccaria that dr delaval f r s had attempted an improvement upon pockrich's invention by greater care in choosing his glasses and he proceeds to explain his own amended form the harmonica of which he gives a drawing his idea was simply to fix upon a stand a succession of globes of varying sizes which were also to be played upon by wet fingers it is curious that though pockrich's musical glasses became the talk of the country so little was known of himself personally that one would think he had never done anything else but perform upon his delightful instrument yet he was a man of real parts, with a passion for projects and new plans for the benefit of Ireland and humanity. As we shall show, some of his ideas, though ridiculed by his countrymen, are not at all despicable in the light of present knowledge. He was indeed far in advance of his age, but only two biographical dictionaries, of the hundreds published, notice his name, and both of the notices, necessarily meagre, are by the present writer. Footnote. A couple of dozen lines in The Poets of Ireland by D. J. o'donohue and the fuller notice by the same in The Dictionary of National Biography. And footnote. Perhaps a fuller sketch of Pockridge and of some of his ideas will not be unwelcome to Irishmen who are always willing to hear of anything tending to the greater credit of the country but to conclude the reference to the musical glasses john carter at pilkington a worthless son of doubtful parents and who rooked oliver goldsmith gives in his memoirs a book so scarce as not to be in any of the dublin libraries an interesting account of pockridge who had engaged him to sing at his performances through ireland and england we learn that the inventor was when pilkington knew him quote, a tall middle-aged gentleman with a bag wig and a sword on quote. and that he was able to earn six pounds a day then a very large sum by his entertainments the memoirs also describe him as a perfect master of music who had performed most of handel's finest compositions and his skill in music is thus testified to he pulled from his sleeve sixteen large pins and from his pocket a small hammer with this he drove the pins into the deal table all ranged one above the other and some almost in as far as the head he then took from his side pocket two pieces of brass wire and demanded what tune i would have i told him the black joke then lay your ears to the table says he hear and admire i did so and to my infinite amazement he played it with all its variations so as to sound almost like a dulcimer encouraged by the applause i gave to this uncommon instrument he took a parcel of drinking-glasses, and tuned them by putting different quantities of water in each. Upon these he played a number of the newest tunes in the most elegant taste, giving me delight and satisfaction." Another contemporary, a poet, and a sometime friend of Pockridge, named Brockhill Newburgh, already mentioned, who hailed from County Cavan, and was a gentleman of wealth and position, wrote many poems, among them one upon his countrymen, whom he calls Captain, with the intention of ridiculing his projects. This poem, called The Projector, was to be the avant-courier of an heroic poem in twenty-four books, to be published by subscription, and to be entitled The Pachriad which would tell exhaustively the inspiring life and adventures of the restless inventor of new plans for the improvement of everybody and everything this threatened epic however did not appear but the notes to the projector which the author says was his first poetical attempt and was written somewhere about seventeen forty five tell us of some of Pockridge's schemes newburgh exempts the musical glasses from ridicule Alluding to them as follows Mr. Pockridge's skill in music has been made known by his no less surprising than agreeable performance on drinking glasses, an invention entirely his own. And I cannot but wish that drinking glasses, instead of being, as too frequently, the instruments of sottishness and debauchery, were oftener applied to so innocent and entertaining a purpose he adds an antidote concerning the power of music which will serve a future commentator upon congreve's famous line music hath charms to soothe the savage breast it should be premised that Pockridge's inventions often led him into debt it has been already mentioned that mr Pockridge, by an invention entirely his own has converted drinking-glasses into one of the most pleasing instruments that happy chance or invention has yet discovered. To judge of the surprising effects of Mr. Pockridge's performance on this instrument, let the reader be acquainted with the following story, which may be depended upon as fact. Mr. Pockridge, in his brewery near Island Bridge, happening to be one day seized by bailiffs, thus addressed them. Gentlemen, I am your prisoner, but before I do myself the honor to attend you, give me leave as an humble performer in music to entertain you with a tune. Sir, exclaimed one of the bailiffs, we came here to execute our warrant not to hear tunes. Gentlemen, says the captain, I submit to your authority, but in the interim, while you are only taking a dram, here, Jack, calling to his servant, bring a bottle of the rosa solis I lately distilled. I say, gentlemen, before you take a dram, I shall dispatch my tune. In the meanwhile he flourishes a prelude on the glasses, and afterwards displays his skill through all the pleasing turns and variations of the black joke. The monsters, charmed with the magic of his sounds, for some time stand and gaze. At length, Recovering their trance, they thus accost the captain, "Sir, upon your parole of honor to keep the secret, we will give you your liberty." Tis well, playing upon the glasses is not more common. If it were, I believe our trade would find little employment. Quote. Newburgh informs us that Pockridge would have obtained the post of chapel master at Armagh Cathedral, which he had applied for but that Archbishop Bolter died before the appointment could be made out. He also speaks with praise of Pockridge's musical compositions, and says that the musician had fully intended to take out his degree of Doctor of Music at Trinity College, Dublin, and to give a public performance of the pieces he had composed for the examination, but was prevented by other matters. One more reference to the musical glasses before dealing with Pockridge's other projects, may be permitted. The Rev. Dr. Thomas Campbell, L.L.D., in his very interesting and very patriotic book, published towards the close of the last century, and called A Philosophical Survey of the South of Ireland, gives a short list of eminent natives of Ireland, and especially praises Pockridge, whom he calls Pokeridge, for his cleverness. His name, he says, quote, ought not to be lost to the lovers of harmony, as he has enriched the art by his invention of the musical glasses, now improved into the harmonica, an instrument, if not of the greatest force, yet certainly of the sweetest tones in the compass of harmony. Quote. Those who have heard the musical glasses skilfully played, will readily admit their extraordinary sweetness of tone, such as have not listened to them, can hardly imagine their fairy music. The present writer has often heard them played in London to delighted crowds, not one person in which probably had the least idea that an Irishman had procured them the pleasure. But, as already stated, Pockridge was emphatically not a man of one idea. His brain teemed with projects, his private fortune left him by his father which was considerable nearly four thousand pounds a year according to pilkington only one thousand pounds if we are to believe newburgh was lavishly spent in carrying out his schemes he practically reduced himself to poverty by the projects upon which he embarked like latourdie of moliere he was often obliged while dazzling his friends with talk of millions of money to borrow a mere trifle the leading facts of his life may be told in a few words he was born in the county of Monaghan in or about sixteen ninety although obviously of english descent on the paternal side his family had long been settled in the north at Derrylusk, county Monaghan, where they held extensive property the family which originally came from surrey became extinct about 1820. Pockridge's father raised and commanded an independent company during the Williamite Wars, fought through the late Happy Revolution, and was dangerously wounded at the siege of Athlone. In 1715, Richard Pockridge, his son, who had settled in Dublin, established a brewery and distillery at Island Bridge, but failed to make it pay it is alluded to by newburgh in the lines in brewers grains you gold can find to all such treasure i am blind when later in life he competed for the royal dublin society's premium for the best barrel of ale and failed to obtain it his contemporaries suggested that he consoled himself by philosophically and courageously drinking his own brew One of his pet projects was to reclaim the bogs of Ireland, to drain them thoroughly and cultivate the land, and to plant vineyards on such parts as seemed suitable. He strongly advocated the culture of the vine in Ireland, and was laughed at for his pains. Yet an Italian visitor, not long ago, told the press that some parts of Ireland were eminently suitable for vine culture." pockridge wrote pamphlets in support of his theories and tried to interest parliament and the public in them without success he spent a large sum of money in raising geese on several thousand acres of barren mountainous land in the heart of wicklow and declared that if properly encouraged he could supply the whole of the markets of ireland great britain and france newburgh dismisses his project of reclaiming the bogs in these lines you think peru lies in a bog i not see there but heath and fog let sons of ease enjoy the shade the heaven their indolence has made thy cares ne'er droop or public good thy hopes thy fears thy schemes still brood methinks thy labours to beguile the barren plains of Allen smile where shook the trembling bog behold the verdant lawns new scenes unfold, or where the wandering shepherd strayed expands the gay enameled mead. These spongy fens, now firm, produce the grain or grapes enlivening juice. There can be no doubt that Pockridge had some extravagant beliefs, for he was a bit of an astrologer, and talked of building an observatory on one of the wicklow hills for astrological purposes to these several ideas of his Newberg devotes the following lines from humbler sounds that soothe our ears you seek the music of the spheres when far from ken of human sight you seek some mountain's airy height wrapped in the clouds you there survey a boundless tract of land and sea or with a levelled tube from far, descry a bog in every star, or else, to human cares descending, you read those fates you still are mending. His numerous flocks the bard next sees, not flocks of sheep, but flocks of geese. As geese by cackling saved a state, footnote, the cackling of the roman geese which alarmed the citizens when the capital was attacked and footnote so grazing geese may mend thy fate see the vast mountains and the rocks now covered o'er with cackling flocks nor less in number than those bands that once o'erspread the grecian sands footnote alluding to xerxes invasion of greece with three million of geese as recorded by Herodotus. and He had excellent musical ideas, however, and saw, long before any one else, the potentialities of the drum. He planned an orchestra of drums, twenty in number, varying in size and tone, from the smallest trebles to the bass tones, which were to be placed in a circle and to be played by one person, was to stand in the centre and strike the drums as required Newberg mentions the project in the lines in thunder next you strike mine ear when from the drum's tumultuous sound you deal your martial thumps around in softer strains my ears delight nor choose a drum but when i fight after spending both money and time upon the invention he turned to another project this time a humanitarian one he proposed to build unsinkable ships of metal for the maritime powers and to supply each man-of-war with five hundred tin boats which he contended would float under any or all circumstances and would prove invaluable in cases of shipwreck or collision Newburgh, however, was one of the unconvinced. He says of Pockridge, My friend, who dreads the boisterous main, inglorious seeks the rural plain. He was equally sceptical as to the sanity of another of Pockridge's plans, which was to provide everyone with a pair of wings for flying. Our inventor firmly held that the day would come, and soon, if he obtained the necessary capital, when men and women would never dream of walking, when, as Newberg says, it might be as common for men to call for their wings as now they call for their boots, and, when pleasure began to grow dull in the east, could order their wings and be off to the west. Newberg's reference to this, at the time, amazing suggestion, is contained in the lines, you wing your daring flight and range the azure fields of light my dastard soul of humbler birth grovels contented here on earth pockrich's unfortunate marriage in seventeen forty five footnote i have recovered the record of his marriage on twenty-third april seventeen forty five with margaret widow of francis white esq and footnote with a widow whom he had been given to understand possessed much money, but who proved, apart from a small jointure of two hundred pounds a year, to be heavily in debt, was naturally made much fun of by the considerate wits of his day. The couplet, from flights sublime in liquid air, descending, you address the fair," is that which opens Newburgh's allusion to the event, which proved anything but happy for Pockridge. His wife eventually ran away with Theophilus Sibber, the theatrical celebrity, but the boat which carried them to Scotland was shipwrecked, and the elopers were lost with everybody else on board. This was in 1758, just a year before Pockridge's own tragic death. In 1745 he had endeavoured to get into the Irish Parliament as Member for Monaghan, but had failed. He contested Dublin in 1749, but the political papers and humorous ballads addressed by him to the electors notwithstanding, again failed. That he had strong opinions upon financial matters seems clear from Newburgh's lines, hear him in senate's next dispense the nerves and force of eloquence or godlike raise the uplifted thunder gainst pensioned knaves who nations plunder pockridge believed fully in prophecy and in all kinds of charms and was induced to put himself forward as a candidate for parliamentary honours by the following facts which says newburgh were not more frequently than solemnly related by Mr. Pockridge himself. He tells us, sitting one morning in an apartment in his brewery near Island Bridge, the doors of his house at that time being bolted and double locked, he observed a very old woman talking to his servant, the contents of which conversation were as follows. The old woman inquires whether Captain Pockridge lived there upon being answered in the affirmative she replies i am sorry to see a gentleman that once lived so well obliged to take up with so poor an habitation the house being at that time extremely ruinous and not inhabited for some years before but old as i am added the hag i shall live to see the day when mr Pockridge shall enjoy the estate of his ancestors be returned as his father was before him, knight of the shire, and possessed the first honours of his country. Having said so much, she suddenly disappeared, the doors of the house still continuing double locked and bolted. Some little time after, Mr. Pockridge, in a house he frequented, happens to meet with a man born deaf and dumb. The seer, for such he appears to have been, fixes his eyes for some time upon mr pockridge with a more than ordinary attention then with a piece of chalk delineates upon the wainscot the outlines of a magnificent fabric proceeding he draws a coach with six horses and a numerous equipage every now and then looking upon mr pockridge then pointing to the draught as it were, thereby appropriating these marks of grandeur to the person he had in his eye, But the project of Pockridge which excited most comment was his plan for the transfusion of blood. He declared that he could, by connecting a sick person with a healthy one by a pipe or tube, so revive the former in improving his blood that death would be almost unknown hence the lines in the projector pockridge shall live to see old death resign his pestilential breath whereat the wags made merry and it is alleged that many of the rectors vicars and incumbents of the country became seriously alarmed about the burial fees which made so large a part of their income and joined with the heirs apparent and others who had reversions and remainders in petitioning Parliament against the impious plan. To mollify them, as the story goes, Pockridge agreed to accept a government measure enabling them to realize after the relative or other person upon whom they had a claim should have reached the age of 999 years, when also burial fees would be recoverable from Methuselah's. This sop, however, was not too well received by Cerberus. Further discussion of our inventor's projects seems unnecessary. Among them was one for turning the Archbishop of Tuam's palace at Mount Eccles, near Dublin, into a cake house, and for that purpose treated with His Grace, to whom he made several presents of young pigeons. He wanted to make an Irish vauxhall of Mount Eccles, but the scheme never came to fruition. He did not hesitate to express his belief that, if he lived a few years, he did not doubt to see every scheme, prediction, and prophecy of his brought to bear and fulfilled. Newburgh informs us that he was, in conversation, a pleasant, jocular, and agreeable companion, and but seldom discovered any marks of an unsound mind. There is no question that Pockridge had his eccentricities. He was admittedly an old beau in dress, and endeavored, when well on in age, to pass as a young man. Just to add one more to the many proofs that there is nothing new under the sun, not even in toilette recipes, Newburgh's explanation of Pockridge's unwrinkled appearance may be quoted. It was due to the latter's recipe, which is taken from one of the notes to the projector take common brown paper steep it in vinegar then apply it to the forehead the skin about the eyes or any other wrinkled part let it lie on some time every half hour renewing the application the wrinkles not only disappear but the cheeks glow with a vermeil that excels the power of paint Mr. Pockridge has practised his experiment for some years past with great success. Evidently, Pockridge was a man of unlimited resource. He had, among his many other peculiarities, a liking for religious disquisition. About 1745, when one Thomas Cynic, a new apostle, a native of Reading in Berkshire and born in 1721, came to Dublin to convert the inhabitants to his own religious views, Pockridge was one of his early followers, a fact duly recorded by Newburgh. Oh, what convulsive pangs and throes tend the new birth of battered bows! From the raised tub he hears the rant, the new the moving godly cant, the new the pious consolation that faith alone works out salvation. After a few months in Dublin, the new reformer, cynic disappeared, after, as Newburgh suggests, fleecing his flock. Pockridge's death was a sad and unexpected one. In the year 1759, being then upon one of his musical tours through England, he happened to be lodging at Hamlin's Coffee House, Sweetings Alley, near the Royal Exchange, London when a disastrous fire, supposed to have been originated in his own room, perhaps owing to some new experiment, broke out one night and destroyed several houses. The unfortunate musician was among those who perished in the flames. The gentleman's magazine, in its account of the affair, refers to him as Mr. Pokeridge, who had invented a new kind of music upon glasses." The Ladies' Magazine, for 1794, page 178, quoting from A Life of Dr. Franklin, says, The tone produced by rubbing the brim of a drinking-glass with a wet finger has been generally known. A Mr. Puckeridge, an Irishman, by placing on a table a number of glasses of different sizes and tuning them by partly filling them with water, endeavoured to form an instrument capable of playing tunes. He was prevented by an untimely end from bringing his invention to any degree of perfection. After his death, some improvements were made upon his plan. The sweetness of the tone induced Dr. Franklin to make a variety of experiments, and he at length formed that elegant instrument, which he has called the harmonica after pockridge's death newberg wrote a mock elegy which has some amusing lines commemorating the projector's various schemes and inventions and with a sly allusion to his gallantries mourn him ye bogs in tears discharge your tides no more shall pockridge tap your spongy hides ye geese ye ganders cackle doleful lays no more his mountain-tops your flocks shall graze be silent dumb ye late harmonious glasses free from surprise serenely sleep ye lasses let drums unbraced in hollow murmurs tell how he that waked their thunders silent fell let tempests swell the surge no more his boat secure from wreck shall on the billows float no more ye sons of nappy shall his beer or nut-brown ale your drooping spirits cheer to his own castles built sublime in air quitting his geese and bogs and glassy care with blood infused and like a meteor bright on his own pinions pock has winged his flight end of an irish musical genius The Inventor of the Musical Glasses by D. J. O'Donohue